Episode 60, Dr. Jen Welter. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, video, and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake60. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And now, on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. My guest today has a PhD in psychology and a master's in sports psychology. My guest played professional and semi-pro football as a linebacker and a running back. Now, you might be forming a picture of my guest in your head, and what you're picturing might very well be incorrect because my guest is author of the book, Play Big, Lessons in Being Limitless from the First Woman to Coach in the NFL. That's right. Dr. Jen Welter became a linebackers coach for the Arizona Cardinals in 2015. She was the first woman to ever break what she calls that glass sideline of the NFL. So Jen, thank you so much for being here as a guest. How are you? Oh, I'm good. It's great to be here with you. I'm really excited to... um, talk about your work and all of the interesting things that you've done in different aspects of uh, your career. Um, But, you know, first off, as we ask uh, our guests, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Gosh, you know, there are so many. Um, and, And I will say for all of you listening, I think this is something that we in general don't talk enough about, right? We, we put together a highlight reel of the lives of, so many people in it, like it all looks really shiny and really pretty. And it's like these picture perfect moments that we, you know, picked out of real life. And that becomes really intimidating for most of the people who look, it's like, oh my gosh, this, she has clearly never had a bad day. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you all that's, that's really not the case. And for those people who are known as being strong and known as being successful, one of the mistakes we make is trying to maintain that perfection, which means that you're not open to help. Um, And it also means you're not that approachable to other people that you might be trying to help. So for us athletes who have been taught never to admit fear and never to admit weakness, that's one of those things that we, you know, we have to work to overcome um, and because it helps others. And so as you say, like my favorite mistake, um, I could look at so many times in my career, but the time I'm going to go to is when I was with the Arizona Cardinals and I was so busy um, with coaching and trying to do a good job. And there, there was not anyone who really was there to look out for me. It wasn't like I had you know, an agent and a manager and a publicist and all of these people, or even um, like a direct mentor to guide me on what to say yes to, or what to say no to, or, you know, to look through different things um, and handle like, um, I would have say like the business of 
what being me meant at that time. Um, and because of that, um, I actually got taken advantage of quite a bit. Um, there was somebody who positioned themselves as being in the industry um, and, you know, really having my back and taking care of stuff and being connected. Um, and it turns out a lot of, a lot of that was not true. And, um, whether it was finding out later that, um, you know, I was told I was going somewhere out of the goodness of my heart and showing up and, and she was taking money for it or, um, you know, responses or, or deals that didn't go through or having, things like contracts rewritten. Um, and then at the same time, um, you know, this person was telling me they were doing outreach and, and teams and, and doing a lot of things that might've helped me figure out the next phase. And none of those things were actually happening. Um, and then when something didn't happen, she would make it seem like it was my fault. So not only were things not happening, but then, I'm being made feel as less than because you know nothing added up. And the way manipulators continue to manipulate is to, um, you know, first establish dependence and then, um, you know, also cut ties of other people who would tell you otherwise um, and to make you feel bad. And it was a really entangled, really tough situation Um that hurt me at a time when, you know, I should have been a, a very hot commodity. Wow. So thank you, I mean, for sharing that. I'm sure it's not easy to, to think back to some of those moments, but, you know, you, you it was a very big story when you were with the Cardinals. Um, I'm sure you were in demand for um, interviews and all sorts of possible, you know, marketing connections or, or what have you. I mean, you know, uh, NFL players who are drafted have a program to sort of try to help prepare them for what they're going to be going into. I guess you for being such a groundbreaker, there wasn't a program to prepare you for the, the media exposure. And that and that's going beyond the job that you were trying to do and that you did well. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the media, the media part was well managed by the Cardinals. You know, I mean, you know, the truth is that for me, you know, they did a press conference and they set up the interviews and, um, there were only a few asks that they let me do during that time. Um, they really did um, the best that they could to let me focus on uh, just being a coach, right? But in terms of all of the other stuff or even the demands or people, you know, reaching out, I didn't have anyone who, you know, could help me in that way or filter it in that way. And so, unfortunately, when you don't have people who are schooled in that stuff, then it leaves a door open for people who are just trying to take advantage of a situation. And um, it, it's something that we hear about a lot with athletes and celebrities, um, you know, whether it's contracts being rewritten, money not going the place that it said it could or should. And, you know, I know how not only devastating that situation was, but how hard it was to um, detangle and to figure out because your confidence is also 
affected, right? Um, I'm obviously a smart person, but I was very busy, right? Like, and that's really just what it is. I had such demands to um, do well in terms of coaching that I, I just couldn't dig into things or look at them the way I normally would. And I had no support system to help and no, you know, no roadmap on how I could do it. And, you know, I find that even in a residual way, like it, you know, there's trauma there, right? Because you got so taken advantage of and so abused in the situation um, that then it makes it harder to approach other situations, um, you know, later on. Um, and so I think it's important that we talk about those things because, you know, um, too often we just think there's something wrong with me because, you know, I didn't know any better. And yet, how does anybody know any better if we don't talk about it? Right. Right. And I appreciate you talking about, you know, as you put it, getting past the highlight reel. And, you know, I'll link to this in the show notes. I mean, there there are impressive highlight reels of, of uh, Jen playing uh, women's football team and and some pretty, pretty hard hits, you know, and you think, well, look at the, the tackling form. And you know, I heard people describe you as a really um, tough hitter. Um, there are also plays where you, you make the wrong read or as a running back, you slip and fall and fumble. You know, I, I don't have a highlight reel, but, you know, we think of um, social media. That's often described as like this really curated, unrealistic view of our lives. And, and so that's maybe something for everyone to kind of think about. Like, are we portraying our lives online as this um, inaccessible era of perfection, as, as you put it? Yeah, I mean, think about it. Even the, even the filters that we put, you know, on the pictures, or you know, the efforts to you know restructure our our bodies in different ways. Like um, those are those are images other people then see and absorb. And you know, the truth is that perfection might be a moment, right? It might be a you know, my hair looks perfect for like one moment, and then the second I step out in the windy day, it's like across my face, right? <laughs> and so much of how we look at the world and we think of ourselves in the world depends on just just which camera angle um, someone happens to snap at that moment. And, um, and I think it's a really hard time, especially for um, our younger generation where everything is so visual and so accessible and so on all the time, right? Um, that I, I wonder on the impacts on, on confidence to, you know, have those moments live on in perpetuity, right? Um, you know, I, I can think of, um, some bad days, some bad plays that I'm really glad, um, you know, are in the past and don't have a digital footprint, right? Um, and yet in the age that we're in right now, um, that's so much harder because that that grace um, of even, you know, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you caught that picture and I'm going to rip it up physically isn't there anymore. Right. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, I look terrible. Ah, that's so horrible. Or, you know, whatever, because everything is is digital and instant and shareable and, and viral. 
So I'm going to jump ahead to more of the current day. Before we go back, I want to ask more about your playing and your coaching and other things. But you do a lot of um, camps and programs for girls to provide opportunities that you didn't have growing up. I was wondering if you could share a little bit of that and you know how football and sports now is a way for girls to maybe build strength, character, self-esteem in ways that don't involve pictures on Instagram. Well, you know, I mean, let's talk about pictures on Instagram, right? If you're posting a picture of just your body, then it means your body is the source of your confidence um, in terms of the response of what it looks like. I want it to be the source of your confidence in terms of it allows you to go out and run and tackle and catch and do whatever it is that you want to accomplish in your life, right? Like, that you're building into your body, not just so that someone will respond to how it looks, but how it allows you to accomplish, how it makes you feel. And we know in terms of confidence for girls that when they're involved in sports, they're much more likely to take care of their bodies and respect it, which means making choices um, like, you know, not being less likely to, um, to have teen pregnancy or to, you know, um, use drugs and alcohol and things like that, because your body is then something that you really have to treat as a temple. Right. And when, when you're an athlete and you know that your body is helping you accomplish all these things, you, you view it in a different way, right? Like I am, I am developing my leg strength because, you know, I want to explode through a tackle, not just because I want to look good in a swimsuit, right? And those are tangible results that you can build on and feel and see what hard work does. So for me, it's so important that girls know that they can do anything and that they can be the instruments of of success, not just an accessory that's accessible because of someone else's success, right? I don't want you to be arm candy. I want you to be the candy, right? Like, I mean, be the substance, be, be the story, um, not just an adjunct. And there's so much that we as girls see and absorb that doesn't put us at the heart of being the heroes of our own story. Right. Um, I, I, I respect um, the creative content in the world of, you know, of reality shows, but, um, in so many, it's a reality I don't want to be a part of, right? Like, I don't want that to be my reality. And I, I don't want it to be the aspirational reality of a, of a lot of the girls, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be the real housewives or the basketball wives or the, you know, um, whatever that is. I, I want it to be, you know, the real husbands, right? Like, why, why don't we showcase them and, and watch them like edifying these amazing women as opposed to, you know, being the adjuncts. And, and I think that we have the opportunity to put women out front that, that show girls that, you know, they could be Kamala Harris. They could be the vice president, right? And that her husband could be the first, you know, the first man. I don't, I don't know how. It's, I think they call him the second gentleman, but he's the first. Gentleman, yes. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know how that is, but you know, it's like, it's like 
why not have those dynamics? And any of them can be great and any of them can be fine, but we have to struggle to find the examples of the women who are put out front um, in those roles um, as opposed to the ones who are put second. Now, that doesn't mean they're not amazing in and of themselves, but the storyline doesn't often put them first. And I I just believe that girls um, deserve more and that we can create places and spaces for them in every area of society to say, you know, you know, yeah, I've got rings. I have championship rings, right? Like those are my rings, right? Every, every <laughs> ring that I have has been earned. Um, right. And that doesn't mean it, it, that I can't have the other ones, but that was my focus, right? I wanted championship rings. And hey, anybody who's going to put a ring on this finger has to, uh, has to defeat a championship ring to get it. Now that's setting a standard, <laughs> right? Like he has to know that he can live up to a Super Bowl ring. Like, so, you know, you better step your game up. And I think that girls deserve to have that swag when they look at making choices in their lives for what they want to do and the partners mm -hmm. that they want to have do it with them. So um, I want to tell the audience a little bit more about um, Jen's background. She played for many years in women's football leagues. And as she mentioned, um, it was championships, plural, right? Yes. Um, sure. She was uh, an all-star, you know, quote unquote, pro bowl um, selection. But then she also played um, on a, a men's team, the Texas Revolution of the Indoor Football League. Now, it seems like, you know, coming back to reality TV, that would have been a fascinating reality TV show. There's one about making the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader squad. Boy, it would have been what, what, what would people have seen if there were cameras following you of setting this example of showing girls here? Here's Jen accomplishing something that hadn't been done before. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes. And you're right. I have thought about that many times on how if only there were cameras tracking that. Um, you know, I think you would have seen a lot. I think you would have seen first me as a woman coming in used to being among the best women in the world, right? Um, you know, just coming off my my most recent was a season where we lost in the in the championship, but we won a gold medal. So the best of the best, right? And then going into this men's world where I'm not the top dog. Right. I am scratching and clawing and fighting to find a place in a space on practice squad. Um, and I'm also the one of one. So um, in, to some people, a target to some people, a champion. Right. There was there were very few people that were neutral about it. I had some friends that thought I was the coolest girl in the face of the planet because I was doing it. And these were like NFL guys. I also had friends who were like, I can't I can't watch. I, I don't, I don't agree. I don't think it belongs in the game and you're going to get hurt and like the end of friendships over it. Um, and then I had the amazing women who I had played with who were so excited and so supportive. Right. And we all knew I was doing it for all of us. Right. Um, because it could change how people thought about women in football and then you would see what is probably the most endearing and um, most surprising was how the guys on my team really went from um, having a few champions out front to um, to uh, it being us versus the world, right? Like I know there was Clinton Solomon who was former Chicago Bear um, and Solo is – 
you know, one of my dear friends to this day. Um, and a lot of that is because of how he handled that situation. Like he knew he, he saw it, right? Like, and he was like, Jen, it's going to be tough on you, right? Physically, mentally. And I need you to let me be your champion. And I remember being like, excuse me, what? Right? Like, I don't even know what that means. Right. And he was like, no, he's like, listen, it can't be you versus us. Because if it's that, you'll always have another battle. And it doesn't mean that you won't be able to handle a lot of stuff. He's like, but I don't want you to have to. And he said, so what I'm going to ask is that you be ice cold. No matter what happens, nothing gets to you, right? You handle it, you know, you laugh about it, keep it moving. But if something bothers you, you come tell me and let me handle it because you're not on your own. You're you need to be a part of our locker room. And I was like, okay, right? So, you know, I, I didn't really know what to think yet. I'm not going to say that I was woke enough to be like, oh my gosh, you're the best. Like, I, I didn't know. I don't know you. And so, so we're in practice one day and, you know, this, this is a scene to a movie in my mind, right? Like <laughs> in the, in the movie of my life on, on things that I will, always cherish. This was one of those days. And it was partially one of those days because I personally was like face planning in the mud. I'm having to work um, as a running back, picking up blitzing linebackers. We're doing inside runs. So that means every play I'm getting hit, whether I'm picking up a blocker or, you know, I am running the ball and getting tackled. Like there's no escape. There's no way out. Like, and it's, it's getting ridiculous, right? Like I'm covered in mud you know, just when I think I need to set more and, you know, like brace myself, then I get swum over and, you know, probably end up face in the dirt. And the receivers and DBs were over on, you know, they were playing seven on seven pretty much like, oh, isn't that nice? Right. And Solo stops practice. And he says, Coach Dub, I need some one-on-ones right now. And Coach Dubs kind of looked at him and he was like, all right, Solo, do what you got to do. And so I was like, well, mama, don't worry about it. I got this. And I was like, I don't know what you got, but okay. Right. I'm like, face like, uh. um, and apparently there was a cornerback who hated that I was out there. And he says, you know, this is bull. Like she runs my way. I'm going to take her out. Well, that, that was not happening on solo's watch. And so he stopped practice. He said, you cornerback, you want to talk smack to a girl? You are not good enough. I'm getting you cut today, right now, if you and me. And so the guy kind of comes up and he lines up off man. And Solo's like, oh, no, no, no. You're a big man. You want to talk to a girl? You're going to press me. Come on. So he pulls him up to the line of scrimmage. Then he looks at the quarterback and he's like, hey, quarterback, I'm about to run a fade on this guy right here. So called out the route. Happens, he runs, he gets it in the end zone, takes the ball down, puts it in the guy's face, said, you still want to talk smack to a girl? Let's go again. And several times the same thing kind of played out. The guy gets cut. And after that day, it was just really different. Um, you know, it wasn't me as the outsider. It was us versus everyone else. And you know, there were 
a lot of different moments that happened across that season. But what's so fascinating is we all got to be really close in a situation where everybody thought it would fail. Oh, it's a publicity stunt. It's this, it's that. I'm like, man, you know, I know the definition of a publicity stunt and um, I got to get better at it clearly because this hurts too much for a publicity stunt, right? Like why am I taking these hits every day for a season? If it's a publicity stunt, I'm working way too hard. Um, but it was the relationships that we formed that actually um, caught the attention of a new head coach the following season, Wendell Davis, who then sat me down and grilled me on football. And when we finished talking, he said, you have to coach my football team. So, you know, um, it was one of the most transformative seasons of my life um, and something I never set out to do um, and would do it a million times over if I had the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so clearly not a mistake from your perspective, um, spending that season with the men's team. And you, know, like, you, you weren't just standing on the sideline holding a helmet. You were in the mix. And I mean, for context, um, I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're strong. Like, you know, they see the pictures of you on the Cardinal sideline, like, you know, a bit of a gun show, you know, with the <laughs> with your arms. But you're 5'2" which is a disadvantage in football as a running back man or woman. I mean, that, that was something to really overcome. You know, people might be picturing, well, she, she must be 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". I mean, you, you've been told, um, I think it's interesting, as you were growing up, um, a couple of times, unfortunately, that you were too small. Does that lead, what, what, what does that lead to in terms of strength or learning to overcome things? Um, you know, I think... I mean, first of all, it, it motivated me to learn to work out and to lift weights. Um, cause I never wanted to be told I, I wouldn't, I wasn't strong enough again. Um, and so I was in the gym at a very young age. Um, but it, you know, it also was something that was a disadvantage in my mind early in my life. But as a player, once I realized that it was actually an advantage, that's when I became really good. Um, like we always say low man or low woman wins in football. And so leverage and being able to get underneath somebody is an actual advantage. So um, it's funny because when I was first playing, I was trying to overcome my height, which means, you know, running tall. And that's a big disadvantage. You know, big guys are trying to get lower and lower and I'm already starting low. So once I realized that that was actually an advantage um, and I leaned into it and stopped trying to be everything but what I was naturally um, and owning that what I was could actually be special. That's when I became really good. So um, I think it's a it's a great life lesson that like, you know, there are certain things you can control. I can't control my height. So I'm not going to put a lot of energy into, gosh, if I was only six foot, I can't I can't change that. But strength. I can change, right? That's something that's in my control. And, you know, how I use my height, that's something in my control too. You know, probably less likely to be able to, for example, dunk a basketball. Um, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't be great in other areas. So channeling the energy into, you know, what I could control, which was, you know, my strength and my speed and my technique. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very transferable lesson and reminder for people. Um, I, want, I want to hear a little bit about your time 
with the Cardinals and how you bridged that gap. Again, going into a new environment as the first woman in an active coaching role with the players. Um, what, what, what strengths did you bring? When we talk about leveraging strengths, what, what did you bring into that role as a coach and, and how were you accepted on the field and, and with the team? Um, you know, first and foremost, definitely a, a PhD in psychology, um, you know, um, and, and somebody who had a master's in sports psychology. Um, so really being good at sports environments and, and knowing where I could add value, um, and what kind of communication would be, you know, well received from the players. Um, often, you know, very one on one, very personal and very, um, very personal and very interpersonal. Um, and so this, it was different for them in a way. Um, because it was not necessarily the communication they were used to, um, but one that they were used to in their lives, just maybe not in football, right? A lot of these guys had been coached by very strong women in their lives. They just hadn't had it on a football field before. So it was, um, you know, I think something that stood out. Um, and then also, you know, to their credit, um, those guys knew everything about me before I even walked onto the field for the first time. They had watched my game film. They had called their friends. Like they had dug deep. And to me, that meant, okay, well, we're, we're fine then, right? Like, because as athletes, that's the ultimate sign of respect, right? When you watch somebody's game film, um, that means you're invested. So they knew about me. They were proud to be a part of history, um, they had, you know, they knew I had played on the men's team, which um, to a lot of them was like the standout because they knew I was in it for the right reasons. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, I just made sure when I when I had the chance to add value, I did. What It doesn't mean talking all the time, but like, you know, kind of being like a little secret weapon, right? Like, hey, next time try this. And when it would work, they would want more. And so... Um, I just think that coach athlete relationships are so special and, and so important. And we just really formed um, um, bonds that were about being better players and better people in the process. That's great. So when you think about, um, I'm, I'm curious, lessons that you help bring to people outside of sports, like I'll like, for example, the only time I've ever been on a football field was because I played drums in the marching band. Right. So I wasn't out there with a helmet on and getting hit or hitting um, a lot. You know, like a lot of people, I'm a fan of sports. And it's always interesting to think of connections, lessons, inspiration that you see from athletes and coaches. Like when you work as a speaker, what are some of the, the messages that you bring to say, you know, people like me who sit in a chair? too much. <laughs> well, one of the things is to realize, like I always say, what if everything that somebody told you was wrong about you was actually what made you right? Right. There, there are so many things that we don't fit to somebody else's mold, but then again, are you really trying to fit their mold? Right. If, if I'm trying to be something that I'm not, then I always feel a little bit off, a little bit wrong, um, a little too short, um, a little too female, whatever it is. And yet, if you understand 
that your unique value proposition is yours and it's special, then you start to lean into it in a way that allows you to be more special, right? I think authenticity is so important and the consistency in who you are, how you act, how you move to go from one situation to another, right? And, you know, in in football, we see it very clearly, right? It doesn't work if everybody looks the same, right? Big, big talk about Tom Brady right now, right? Like, you know, he's the GOAT. He went from England. You know, everybody wanted him. Tampa Bay picks him up. We want TB12. Okay, you're right. Absolutely. He's a great quarterback. He is he is one of the greats out there. But do you want 11 TB12s? I don't. No, I, he I, wouldn't I, be a good left tackle. I cannot think of an offense or a defense that would put 11 TB12s in a situation that we're winning. I need very distinct um, chess pieces to put around TB12 that are all different and special and are together on one shared vision in order for TB12 to do what TB12 does, right? And football is this unique, powerful sport that really does celebrate diversity in how it functions. And so being able to reinforce that, whether it's football or business or in our lives, like that those differences are very special. It's just about matching them up with situations and demands and, and team structure. Um, and, you know, putting those all into, um, a system where, where they're maximized, right? That, that's what we're all talking about. You just happen to see it very visually in football. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, there are powerful lessons about authenticity. In the beginning of your book, you talked about that. You, you told the story your time at the Cardinals of going and getting um, note cards at, at the store that you were going to leave encouraging notes in the locker. Um, how, how, how did that play out? How was that received? Did you feel like you were leveraging a strength that you might have been the first coach who had left an, an encouraging note card in the locker? Or how did that play out? You know, it's so interesting because I I knew it was what I would have wanted as a player, but I didn't necessarily realize that it was so unheard of. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought that the locker room was like Vegas, right? Like this would be our secret, <laughs> that this was just between us. And, you know, before the game, a couple of the players were like, man, I really appreciate those words. And I was like, great was not the worst coaching decision in the history of the NFL. <laughs> we were fine. And yet at the end of the game, a reporter came up to me and said, you know, history was made tonight at University of Phoenix Field for the first time in the history of the NFL. A female took the sidelines as a coach. And we heard you did something very special for your players. You left notes in their locker. Would you care to comment? And I was like, <laughs> no, no, I would not. Because that would have been a secret I took to the grave. Nobody would have known. Yeah. Right? Like I would not have been like, yeah, I wrote notes and put them in my guys' lockers. Right? No. But what, what came out was that, you know, our huddle caller, um, Kevin Minter, uh, told the reporter in his entire NFL career, he'd never had a coach care like that. And, you know, 
to me, that's what it's about. It's not better or worse. It's just what's going to resonate with what people and, and who you are as a leader. I know how hard we can all be on ourselves. And what I could think of is that, you know, I knew how hard those moments before a game were. And um, I just wanted the voices in their heads to be mine because I knew what I would tell them. And it turns out that it was something that was very special to them as well. And, you know, I remember talking to Kevin and I'm like, Kev, you know, you kind of sold me out on that. Like, I, I didn't really expect that to be in the news. And he looked at me and he said, coach, that was special and they needed to know. And I was like, well, okay then, because that was also his leadership, right? And him it, as a player in, you know, a linebacker in one of the roughest, toughest sports on the planet to, to share that that was important to him. That is a huge um, leadership role that he took in admitting that as, as a man, just like, you know, and, and maybe even more against the grain was admitting that than me doing it in the first place. Right. Cause I think as, as fans, we see, players who are the best in the world at what they do. They're strong, they're aggressive, they're confident. We don't get a window into things like self-doubt. And I imagine that's where as a psychologist and as an athlete who had been in similar shoes, I guess that gave you an appreciation for what could be helpful. That seems like that's a powerful lesson. And empathy is is leadership, right? Um, I remember one of the things that struck me from that is, you know, they were, do you think you did that because you were a woman? And I was like, empathy is a leadership trait, period. And why would you discount it? Because it came from a woman, right? We need, we need more empathy in business, in sports, in society as a whole. Um, and so let's not put it into just a bucket. Um, Let's, let's say that we need a whole lot of empathy and that that is a leadership trait, period. No qualifiers necessary. So maybe one last question for you. Um, have you watched uh, the show Ted Lasso? Hmm. Oh, I, th- I think you would enjoy uh, Ted Lasso. It's worth um, binge watching, you know, just get a, you know, uh, Apple TV plus you can get a free preview. I'm not trying to sell Apple TV plus, but um, Jason Sudeikis who plays this American football coach, who gets hired to coach an English Premier League team, oh, which is, of course, yeah. soccer. But um, Ted Lasso's character, I think you would appreciate, because this is not just a, a, a male-female thing. I think he he's very empathetic. Um, he's focused on the players as people. And there's, there's um, I, I won't give spoilers away for you or others, but there's a scene uh, in, in one of the later episodes involving a note card and a player. That's very powerful because I think this is a situation where this player had never received a supportive, appreciative note like that. So I, I, I think I think you would like Ted Lasso because empathy yeah. and it's about empathy and leadership. I agree for sure. There's a different version of that show where uh, a woman could have been hired in from an American football perspective. But I, I do think, you know, gosh, uh, I'm not a movie producer. Somebody in LA should be buying the rights to your story. <laughs> I agree. 
Um, one, one last, last thing. Um, there, there's a phrase I've heard you use, and this might be a good point to wrap up on. You know, as a trailblazer and a groundbreaker, I, there's this idea of being the first means not being the last. Could you share what that means to you? Yeah. You know, when you're the first, the whole narrative um, just by design is is around what you do, right? Um, I, I remember very distinctly uh, the media. It wasn't, you know, could Jen Welter coach guys in the National Football League? It was, could a woman, right? And that means the entire you know, fate of women in coaching in football is resting squarely on your shoulders because there's a sample size of one, right? Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that there aren't other women, better women, you know, whatever. It just means that that's all they're looking at at that time. And so I always said the opportunity and responsibility of being first is to ensure you're not the last, right? So first and foremost, that means do a good job and give them no reason to say, oh, well, this is why we can't have a woman. You know, we tried that once, but ooh, you remember that Jen Welter thing, right? Like you don't want them to slam the door and have you be the reason why it was closed tighter than it was before. But then it also means extending the conversations. It means, you know, pushing for change. It means being, you know, an advocate. It also means, you know, helping to um, look at, places and spaces where you can shift the societal focus, right? Like, um, you know, working with Madden to be the first female head coach in Madden. Now that means that a girl could see herself in the game and, and get permission to think, oh, well, coaching could be a woman, right? And, and plant that seed of that idea. And um, boys could look at it and say, um, oh, a coach could be a woman. It could be a male or a female, right? And then, in terms of, you know, things like developing girls programs so that there's a feeder system, you know, all of those components feed into um, what hopefully isn't just an exception to the rule, but changing the rules for for future women and future generations of women. Well, thank you for for all of that. And thank you so much for being um, a guest here today. We've been joined by Dr. Jen Welter. Uh, do check out her book. It's called Play Big, Lessons in Being Limitless from the First Woman to Coach in the NFL. You can learn more about all of the different things that she does at her website, jenwelter.com. Um, this has been a real honor and a real treat to have you here. Thank you for sharing um, not just um, you know story about mistakes, but the, the lessons um, that have been hard fought along the way. So thank you. Thank you so much. For sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dr. Jen Walter for being such a great guest today. For show notes, links, and more, you can see video and photos of her at work. You can find that all at markgraven.com slash mistake 60. Hope you're enjoying uh, the podcast. If you like the episode, again, the best thing you can do to help the show out is to share it with a friend or a colleague or post something about this episode or the podcast in general on your favorite social media platform. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes and how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, 
myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.